Hello and welcome back to Reeling in the Piers. My name is Gary O'Brien and this is where I get some of my very good friends on to chat and discuss about all kinds of movies. Joining me today, it's James Pender and he's here to talk about Martin McDonough's 2008 black comedy crime film, In Brew. So stick around, we hope you enjoy it. Jimothy, I've just, first of all, hello. Second of all, I just want to know, is Bruges a shithole, yay or nay? I want your opinion straight up on it. As someone who's never visited Bruges, um, it is a shithole. I, uh, I have to listen to Colin Farrell on that one. Uh, I haven't, <laughs> haven't. But uh, I will be there, I expect, uh, in the not-too-distant future. Because I don't think I can uh, stand to just keep watching it on the screen and never actually go there. Yeah, so so you... I've known you for many years now. We went to school together and this movie came out while we were in school. And I don't think I've known anyone to talk about a movie this much as you do with In Bruges. Yeah, I, I don't know, Gary. It's a, it resonates with you. Yeah, it resonates with me. I think it's, it's a weird one because uh, I feel like it's a movie where when I saw it first and probably for like, I've seen it a lot of times now. Uh, you're, I, you're, you're, you also, you work in like accounting I guesstimate how many times have you watched this movie? Oh, um, it's it's comfortably over ten. It's it might be into the twenties. Oh wow! Uh, it's it's so it's an easy movie to like just turn on and have in the background. Uh, so there's probably been plenty of times when it's just been honest background noise. Um, it was a movie where like watching it first time, probably like first number of times, it was something where it's like, oh, this is a class movie. Uh, and you enjoy it and it's like funny and kind of like ch- a bit childish so you're like you enjoy it in that sense but then when you like kind of understand maybe like cinematic stuff or not so much cinematic but because uh, that would suggest like the shots and everything like I suppose the shots as well but kind of the, like the scripts and what what a director is kind of trying to do with a movie um, then I think it kind of gets even better in that sense where it was just a, like, oh, this is funny, and it's two Irish lads um, who are a bit mental, and it's quotable and everything like that. But then you kind of, like, watch it a few times or start to understand where, say, like, as you said, I'm an accountant, but uh, in college there was at least a few modules I did that weren't solely uh, business-based. So I didn't keep it too yeah. boring. There was some, uh, there was Spanish film studies, but it was film studies all the same. So I learned some stuff in there where, um, you start to, I suppose, understand filmmaking a bit more, and then this movie kind of goes to another level in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow! So we've got a, we've got another like film expert. And Penner, everything you say is going to be taken now is that you are a expert in film and Absolutely. anything. You say. So you're at the full scrutiny of our other friend, um, our other friend Luke, who legit did like proper essays on the works of Martin McDonough. So did he? Aware, I didn't actually know that. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. I don't know. Look, either way, I, I imagine he's going to be listening to this, just critiquing everything you say. So, so zero pressure at all. I yeah, I expect so. But yeah, to be like, there's not many movies. I suppose. I suppose I haven't watched many movies as many times as the Washington Bruce. There's not many movies when I go where I go like in depth into the uh, the kind of ideas of the director or anything like that in the movie. Yeah. Uh, but I suppose I watch this so many times, you just start to notice things as you're uh, as you're going through it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, so I myself love this movie as well. And I kind of, I'm a bit like yourself where like, well, 
age would you have been? Like, would have been like teenagers, right? Like, young teenagers. Came out in 2008, so we're like 13, yeah. Yeah, so I, I like, so obviously, yeah, when you laugh at like, like making fun of the Americans and saying fuck all the time, you kind of, you laugh at all that. And then, like, I was watching, like, when you were watching it there again, like, you just kind of, like you say, you pick up on stuff and like, they're just the script as well is so well done. It's your man, Martin McDonough, who did um, Seven Psychopaths and Three Billboards and, he just really appreciated so much. So I had a great, and then like, there's just some great bits with uh, a song as well that comes on that I just, I love that bit. We'll talk about it a bit later. Yeah. About it, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite scenes in, uh, in movies, I think, because the, the song just like goes so well with what's happening. I just, yeah, it just matches up so well. Um, yeah and it's it's that it's that irish element like you said as well like it's two irish lads it's about a guy who you know uh it's written by a guy who he i think he's from born in britain but like you know born two irish parents and spent a lot of time in ireland as well so there's that irish center it's a lot of irish humor it's dark humor so and it's kind of it's it's maybe it's a bit blasphemous to say but it's it's kind of rare to see a good irish movie and i i i don't mean that in a bad way in the sense see something on the kind of hollywood scale like this is you yeah. know, it was nominated for a lot of Golden Globes and Oscars. And, you know, there's very few Irish movies that do that. And I think that's why, one of the reasons why I enjoy this was because that so many people love this worldwide. And it's that little connection that we have to be like, ah, yeah, it's two Irish characters, like stuff like that. I, I, yeah. I enjoy about it. We're great at many things, but maybe there's a little bit of British that needs to be brought in there to take it to the next level as, as blasphemous as that might sound. Maybe that's worse than what I said. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit of Martin McDonough might help out. Maybe his, uh, his little Britishness uh, helped out in a sense. Um, Irish culture, British education. That is the key. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> certainly not much Irish ed- education from the, uh, from the characters here through the movies. But yeah. it was interesting. Uh, I kind of watched the thing on Martin McDonough on, uh, in Brute, and he described um, the characters in Brute basically as being two halves of himself. Because uh, he said he went on a day trip to Brute, and uh, he found that he really enjoyed like there's the culture, the museums, and everything like that. But all there was was museums and kind of churches and stuff like that to go to. So after about a day and a half, all he wanted to do was go and get pissed. Basically, and he basically turned this into two characters of a movie where you have, as well as we'll introduce Ray and Ken, who are the uh, the main characters of the movie, and they're kind of two halves of Martin McDonough, one half who kind of interested in the culture and and the uh, the history and everything like that, and the other half who kind of just wants to go out and get pissed. Yeah, yeah, and it's and, it, and they work so well, like they're, they're so counterbalanced in how much they yeah yeah they bounce off each other well. Yeah, and I suppose actually just for I suppose people haven't seen the movie, I might get you to just kind of briefly kind of run through the plot. What is what is this magnificent movie about? Yeah, um, so yeah, Ray and Ken are uh, basically hitmen. And they've been sent to Bruges uh, because um, Ray has fucked up his first job. So Ray is being sent to kill a priest. He kills the priest successfully, but in the act, uh, accidentally kills a child. And as a result, gets sent off by their boss, Harry, who uh, we're introduced to later in person. Yeah, Harry's kind of a very serious mob boss. English and he's um how do you describe him? He's very principled. And while he's deciding the fate for Ray, he sends Ray and Ken off to Bruges to basically hide out while he decides what he's gonna do. Uh, and it's just what Ray and Ken get up to then for 
a couple of days while they're in Bruges. It's really set over kind of only about two, three days, maybe, is it? Yeah, feels like that anyway. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it's that sort of timeline. Uh, so it is a short kind of a short timeline, but plenty happens in their two slash three days stay in Bruges, and it opens with uh, with Ray describing Bruges as a shithole, which where we probably begin with our uh, our best quotes of the movie. Go on. Hit me up. I know you have them written down, either uh, either on a piece of paper or etched within your brain somewhere. Yeah, many etched in the brain. Uh, Bruges is a shithole. Ray talks to a group of Americans as they go to go up the uh, the bell tower in a church, calls them, says, "You are a bunch of fucking elephants." Uh, they chase him around, and he says, "Come on, leave it out, fatty." Probably worth mentioning, as well as being a hitman, he's somewhat homophobic, somewhat racist. And yes, remains a sympathetic character. Yeah, throughout the film, I, which is kind of interesting. And I think that's all down to Colin Farrell. Like Colin Farrell is great in this, at like at playing Ray. And it's it's weird because he does all these like he says all these things, and you just like he's knocking people out in restaurants and karate chopping people later on, and you, you shouldn't like him. And but then again, by the end of the movie, you're just no, you know, not like not at all, like. Th- it's kind of Irish humor as well, where it's like he orders a beer for himself and Ken. And he goes, one gay beer for my gay friend and one normal beer for me because I'm normal. And it's kind of that like child, like obviously, as we were saying, it was hilarious to us when we were 13 and 14 because he was describing it as gay beer. And you're looking at an air and you're like, geez, like, yeah, he's it comes back up later in the film as well, where he has more like kind of homophobic comments and stuff like that. And yet, weirdly, he's not seen as necessarily being a bad guy even though like he's a hitman he's homophobic he's racist he's everything and yet you end up kind of like rooting for him yeah and like so what so whether for i suppose just to explain to people what's kind of happening while they're waiting in bruges like colin farrell's like you say they're going to pubs they're having pints but you know um brendan gleason's character uh, is very much like interested in the 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 architecture the churches and i just love Colin Farrell's just like almost childish like oh, he's, he's sitting on a boat a with hunched up just like no I don't want to be here it's just like it's almost if like you know you're dragging a kid that only wants to go to Disneyland except Disneyland for Colin Farrell is a pint and he's just like he's not happy with anything else that's happening and he's in he's in the church where there's a church in Bruges that's said to have um a piece of cloth with Jesus blood on it and he's in this church and he's sitting down on one of like a pew and there's a chair in front of him and it's just like a, a loose chair. It's not like a pew ahead of him. And he starts like kicking it and messing around with it, making a load of noise in this really quiet church. And it's like, it's the behavior of like a five-year-old. And that's what Ray is at his heart. Like with the, with the way he speaks and the way he kind of behaves, he is like a childish five-year-old and everything he does is that way. All he, yeah, as you said, all he wants to do is go and get a pint, which is kind of like yeah. the, the way to be a child when you're actually like 25 or 30. But we've all been on those types of holidays where some people want to go to a gallery or a museum, the others you just you just, you just want to grab a pint. You're on holidays, you're in the sun, like yeah. To be fair, Bruges, when you're... I, I would say Bruges actually looked kind of class. Like I was watching, it, I was like, it seems nice. Maybe I won't yeah. spend too much time there. I think it'll be one of those places where you go for like two or three days, and you could spread the culture out over the three days, and yeah. still have plenty of time for pints. Oh. But Ray wanted it to be just pints. Sounds like class holiday to me. Um, so yeah, so like, 
so what what's kind of happening then is there the two of them are over there they're kind of have different ideas of, of what they should be doing with their time they go out for pints one night and then they get back to find that Harry had called and they'd missed him. And that's where we're kind of first introduced to the um, the volatility, uh, let's say, of Harry in that he leaves a note with the what he believes to be the receptionist, but is actually the co-owner of the restaurant, uh, the side of the uh, of the hotel. And it's just filled with just fucks and shits and whatever the, like, I don't know, it's just like, where, why we're in gin, blah, blah, blah. And they kind of make this uh, decision. It's like, right, we have to stay in tonight. We can't go out this night. But the problem is the following night, Colin Farrell, uh, his character uh, Ray stumbles across um, a production of a movie. It's and... actually the it's the first night that they stumble oh, across the production of the movie. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, apologies. See, this so is why they... you've watched it way more times. I've, yeah, they stumble across the production of the movie, and in another uh, another good quote, Colin Farrell looks over to this movie set and uh, goes, "What are they doing over there? They're filming something. They're filming midgets." And goes sprinting away because again, he's a five year old <laughs> who's excited by the thought. <laughs> of a dwarf and he, th- he sees this as something just incredible and runs over there and then sees the girl goes and tries to talk to her gets her number everything like that sets up a date and then it's they come home that night ah, get the uh get the letter saying where the fuck were you uh, i don't know how far we can go with language on this podcast gary but oh we can say fuck shit whatever he calls he calls them cunts as well <laughs> um so that happens the first night, and then it's the second night when Ken is like, we're not going out tonight, and Ray says, well, only one of us really needs to stay in. And I love that bit where he's like, well, actually, if you remember, it's such a childish way of like, yeah, you know, yeah. Every I know her does. teacher was like, no homework, but she gives homework. Well, actually, miss, you said the other day we weren't getting home. And he was like, no, but I technically said, I, I told you, I, I, I just expressed it to you that I couldn't. You know, stay in tonight, so therefore yeah, I, I should be allowed. I do have it. There is something I have to do. So it's, it's as if he's being grounded, and he's like, "But yeah, this is thing I have to do." Uh, and, and and it's the it's uh, I think the, na- the character's name's Chloe, and she's played by Clements Posey. I'm definitely butchering the pronunciation of that name, and I f- couldn't shake why I, she was so familiar. But she plays a. Uh, She's the one from Harry Potter 4 that comes from the, the other college for the Triwizard Cup. And that's where I recognize her from. Yes, that's a good point. Now, not, my Harry Potter knowledge wouldn't be uh, wouldn't quite be the same as yours. Uh, I haven't seen no, all, I, I haven't I, even seen all the movies. Fairly limited. What? You haven't seen yeah, all the Harry Potter? Yeah, no, I haven't seen all the Harry Potters. I haven't read oh, all the books. You may be, oh, people are dropping. I'm going to like watch out for this point on the Spotify and just see all the They're all just going to drop them. off. They've lost any, any and all respect, just gone. So yeah, so that's the girl, and then the the the, the name of the dwarf is it Jimmy? Is that his name? Uh, yeah, Jimmy's yeah. a dwarf. Yeah. So then they so then they then they um they're introduced to those two characters then as well, and then it's from that then she gets um she gives him her weird business card that just has her name or number on it, and they organize for dinner the next day then. Yeah, dinner is a uh, dinner is an experience. Uh, well, before before that, uh, because I I have one thing written down here that I I need to. To, to mention so the agreement is is made that ken allows ray to go on his date and he'll stay in for the phone call but that's only if they get to do everything ken wants to do and one yeah. of them is to do one of them is to go to this gallery and um, with a load of paintings that uh, by this artist that i don't know the name of that smarter people probably understand and know but there, there's a joke that's made that i, I think look i think multiple multiple artists i think possibly actually i think i've wrote down some of the uh of course did. some of the names of the uh paintings but it was, the, it was, this is one of the kind of film point. One of the few film points I'll make here is where, uh, where they actually cut, where, when we first see what Ray did that 
cut them in Bruges. It cuts from him shooting the priest and as a result, accidentally shooting the kid. And it cuts straight back to them sitting in the gallery. And in the gallery, the three paintings that they look at are paintings of people being judged. Okay. So it's kind of the parallels of like, they're showing Ray and what he's just done wrong. And then cut back to these three paintings, one of which is uh, a guy who's being like skinned alive, but he was a judge who accepted bribes in like Persian times. Another one I think is called like the judgment or something like that. And another one is like uh, death collecting its debts. Okay. So it's kind of like the, it probably quite pointed, uh, not exactly subtle, but it's going from Ray, what Ray did wrong and cutting straight back to these three paintings of judgment. And that leads into, because that it's, leads the, into- it's the, that final painting is called the judgment. And okay. Ray or Ken describes to Ray how it's purgatory. And this is the joke that went too far, James. Look, I've mentioned it on my Baby Driver podcast about my new my new allegiance to uh, a certain football club that simply gets mocked here, and I didn't appreciate it, and I thought it was too far, and we need to cancel this movie. We are we we gave you multiple choices of teams that you could have chosen to support instead, and yet you chose to support a, a hated rival of mine. Yeah. And I, I, not just you, but like my cousins, I have another friend, Emmett, who, who supports them. And he, the, no, nobody's put it this way. The reason I picked this team, the reason I picked Tottenham is because everyone was unhappy with me picking Tottenham. And I was okay with that. That's fair enough. And it makes it more interesting. Yeah. Uh, but basically he, he, they describe uh, purgatory as Tottenham as they are simply not as bad as hell or not as good as heaven. But Purgatory is a place in the middle. You weren't really shit, but you weren't that great either. A bit like Tottenham. And it's what I strive for. It's what I actually describe myself in most interviews. Like, look, <laughs> I'm I'm like purgatory. I'm not that good, but I'm not that bad either. I'm Tottenham, baby. Yeah. Keep your expectations low and make sure they don't get too high. Exactly. And then exactly. I won't I won't disappoint you if you keep your expectations right there in the middle. And then again, parallels come back to purgatory and Bruges kind of being purgatory, where they're waiting to yeah. be judged, all the same sort of stuff. And that's the kind of like the filmmaking stuff where I, after watching it several times, you start to understand a bit more of that stuff. Whereas at the start, it's kind of just a funny movie where there's these, there's two, these two hitting on hiding out in Bruges saying funny things. And um, yeah, when you're 14 or 15 years old, it's hilarious. Yeah. And it's, it's like that one thing where you could just think they're in a gallery talking about patents and yeah. you just let it kind of go over you. But then it's very much like there's, it, it adds so much to the movie. And it, it's like I said, about the script, like the script won a golden globe uh, for best writing completely robbed for the Oscars. Didn't even, um, if you ask me, but look, that's another thing, but didn't get nominated uh, for any of them. It was nominated for best writing original screenplay, but it lost. Do you know who it lost to? Uh, it lost to Milk. It got. It was also. Oh my God! Uh, so in the same category, it was Happy Go Lucky. Wally. Wally got nominated. That I t- tell you what, that was probably that was because like global warming was such a thing, and they were like, Oh my God, a uh, uh, an animated movie making you know things about how we need to preserve the earth. It's a good thing global warming is no longer a thing. Thanks to Wally. <laughs> uh, Frozen River and Milk won then. But just speaking of speaking of awards then, it um. Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson both got nominated for a Golden Globe for this. Colin Farrell won. But it got was also nominated for Best Picture for the Golden Globes for Best Comedy or Musical. It lost that. So also in that category, I, I want you to try and guess. Didn't lose to the Martian for Best Comedy, no? No, it didn't, unfortunately didn't. Uh, but anyway, okay, so out of these people, who won Best Golden Globe for Comedy or Musical? Was it In Bruce? It didn't. Was it Mamma Mia? Vicky 
Christina Barcelona, Burn After Reading, or Happy Go Lucky? Yeah, Bur- Mamma Mia wouldn't be uh, displeased with winning. Burn After Reading is actually uh, quite a funny movie, uh, but I feel like you're setting me up for Happy Go Lucky? Vicky Christina Barcelona won for Best Picture. Be- like Best Comedy and Musical? Yeah, over I- in Bruce. I didn't think that was a comedy. I-, I-, I was pretty sure it was a musical. I didn't think it was a comedy. It's, a it's kind of a weird I- story, and I really didn't think it was a comedy. And it upsets me that it didn't win. This movie deserved to win. Scarlett Johansson, Penelope Cruz, and Javier Bardem, is it? Yep. Yeah. It's about, the, it's about these two friends who go over to... Is it Vicky and Christina? They go to yeah, Barcelona. Yeah, no, genuinely. I've never seen it. It's about Vicky and Christina in Barcelona who end up both getting a relationship with this guy, Javier Reda. But I really, like, it's, I thought it was like a serious movie, not a comedy or a, again, Golden Globes on the best history with nominating comedies it. correctly. It's ridiculous. Okay, so then I, I the next, the next note I have written down here, but I can't remember the series of events and you're going to have to help me. Why do I have Lollipop Man Karate written down? Oh, that happens pretty soon after uh, pretty soon after the scene in the gallery and this is more foreshadowing with uh, people knowing karate and how ridiculous it is but and there's multiple foreshadowing within this scene but they're talking Ray and Ken are talking about being a good person and Ken talking about how he sees himself as a good person but again Ken is Brendan Gleeson's character Ray is Colin Farrell's character and call it Ray that basically fucked up. He's trying to talk about like being a good person and Ken is kind of like, he tries to do good things and he also has to balance that with the fact that he has killed like seven people. And he says that of those seven people, six of them kind of got what they deserved. And Ray asks him, what about the seventh? And it was a guy who he was killing his brother and the brother who was a 50-year-old lollipop man came at him with a bottle and Ray is like, that's a lethal weapon. Sorry, (laughs) you come at someone with a bottle, you could get shot. So he shoots him dead and Ken responds, well, like, your bare hands are technically a weapon. You could come at at you with bare hands. What if you knew karate? And Ken is like, what the fuck do you mean what if you knew karate? What age is he? Ken's like, he's 50. What's a fucking 50-year-old lollipop man doing knowing karate? Why are you bringing that up and talking about myself? He's basically looking for a reason to yeah. not feel so bad about what he had done and then isn't happy that Kenneth bring up the possibility of a 50-year-old man knowing karate. A lollipop man at that. 50-year-old lollipop man knowing karate. It's just, it's just, it's the wackiness of the, of the writing and the delivery. It's just, I love it so much. And then, like you say, that foreshadowing comes back a bit later on with the bottle when... With the uh, bottle, yeah. It, then they go for, he goes to dinner with uh, Chloe, Ray. They go for that date. Yeah, and they're in the smoking area and there's what appears to be an American sitting beside him who, when she goes off to the bathroom, so good. Like, he, he says, I have it. Oh, I have it written down. And yeah, what happens is the American goes oh, kind of under his breath, but definitely loud enough. Cause they're sitting like right beside each other at the tables. He goes fucking unbelievable. And Colin Farrell kind of takes a second, looks at him and goes, What's fucking unbelievable? And the American, what we think is American, turns around to him and says, are you talking to me? And Colin Farrell says this out loud and says, he pauses, even though he ju- should just hit the cunt and repeats, what's fucking unbelievable? <laughs> and the American is like... He narrates himself. Yeah, he, he narrates out loud what he's, exactly what he's thinking. And the American 
again, who we think is American, says to him, she's blowing cigarette or cigarette smoke in my face and everything like that. And then Ray starts bringing up the Vietnamese and he's like, what the fuck do you mean the Vietnamese? He's like, the Vietnamese. <laughs> it's, it's, it's some of the words he says, like, like midget and the Vietnamese. I don't know how, what he's, what way he's inflecting it, but it's just, it's so Yeah, funny. it is, it is just funny. You're not laughing at the joke, you're laughing at the delivery sometimes. It's like, the Vietnamese midgets, or yeah. the Vietnamese, what are you talking about the Vietnamese? And it's just that, the flow, it's so good. And then, as a result, he punches your man, and your man's girlfriend turns around, swings a bottle at him, and he goes, a bottle? Ah, leave it out, and punches her in the face. And it adds to the list of things that Ray does wrong, that are just terrible, terrible things. And yet we still like him as a character and like want him to do well. And he's just yeah. he, like, he's punched a woman and they foreshadowed this with Ray saying, if someone comes at you with a bottle, it's basically a free for all at that point, but he yeah. still punched a woman in the face. And again, there's not many more things that he could do to show himself to be a bad guy. And yet we don't see him as a bad guy. And as you said, it's, it's a lot of Colin Farrell there that makes you think, that makes you see him as a good guy, but certain amount of Martin McDonough's writing as well, creating this character who is who you want to root for, basically. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird that like they literally like they had that whole scene beforehand to be like because like, if he had just done that without the previous like story of what he what his views are on an assailant with a bottle, like you would have been like, okay, that's a bit that's a like what are you doing punching a woman? But only that you'd heard his ridiculous like I like his that's ridiculous his belief of like, look, if someone comes at you with a bottle. You just gotta, you just gotta take them out, and it's just like only that that scene happens before, and then Colin Farrell. It's like the writing from that, and then the Colin Farrell performing it in the moment. The two just marry so well together in a scene that's just, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird to say, but it's funny. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And then it's during kind of the same time of that scene, while Colin Farrell's out in his date, well, Ray is out in his date. Ken is back in the room getting the call from Harry, and that's where the kind of the movie turns from not really know what's happening and just kind of them spending their time in Bruges and passing time to Ken being told now it's Harry kind of calling him up and saying, given his little spiel of it, it shows, it kind of introduces us to Harry as this really principled guy Yeah, where he says to Ken, like if the book doesn't start, stop with you, where does it stop? He's killed a child, everything like that. You basically need to kill Ray for having killed this child. And again, it's, something where it's like you're you'd say fair enough he's killed a child but at the same time you don't want ray to die because you kind of see him as i suppose in a way with him being so childish you see him as a little bit maybe innocent and clueless and yeah that he deserves a second chance absolutely and that like he he know at least he like he knows what he's done is wrong and shows remorse and everything like that and that's kind of what then leads to ken being told he needs to go and kill ray while then Ray gets in an incident with Chloe, did you say her name was? I think her name is, yeah. So they, they go back to her apartment and all of a sudden they're like shifting on the bed and then this robber comes in. Oh no, wait, no, sorry, it's not a robber, it's a guy. Her her uh, ex-boyfriend. Yeah, it's like, it basically, she's, he comes in, it's like, what are you doing, see my girlfriend and stuff. And yeah. it's kind of revealed that Chloe has this kind of operation in that she brings lads back and then he comes back pretending to be a, the boyfriend and then like robs them. With, and then, but he, but she, with a gun full of blanks with a gun full of blanks yeah and it's 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 where it's where ray gets his gun from that then kind of comes in the next scene yeah but again she then loses it he's like ray is like oh i can't like a girl like you never could have gone for a guy like me all that sort of stuff but then 
he's called this guy a puff and again the homophobia comes into it and he's uh saying he's like a bummer and everything like that and then she's like oh it's got blanks in it so he takes the he hits him takes the gun off him and then shoots a blank into space while your man the ex-boyfriend is there to rob him has a knife and when your man comes lunging at him he shoots him in the eye and blinds him and again it's the whole like call them what like when when did you guys all become such like puffs and everything like that you used to go around beating beating up gays and now you are a gay all this sort of stuff yeah it's this weird it's this weird element that's added into the scene that yeah I, don't. I don't like again it's i suppose it probably highlights his like his childishness in a way and yeah. everything like that but that's kind of how how he ends up with a gun and chloe then brings her ex-boyfriend off to the hospital while ray goes back to the uh, hotel room oh but a, a very important detail is that ray picks up a load of drugs that is from that a apartment. Load, yes correct and so what happens then is um they go back to the the, the apartment he goes back to the apartment uh, back to the hotel hotel sorry yeah. and uh what happens is we meet Bre- brendan gleason he's sitting there he's just milling a load of pints because he's obviously quite upset about what he's been told to do and then uh jimmy comes in with um this woman and Brendan Gleeson kind of goes over and chats to him, I think, for a bit. Or no, they, the two of them just have a dialogue for right. a bit. And then he's like, oh, who, who's that woman you're with? And she's like, he's like, oh, it's a prostitute. You have a very pretty girlfriend. That's it. She's not my girlfriend. She's a prostitute. Well, you have a very pretty prostitute. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> oh, it's so good. And they're kind of having an exchange. And then all of a sudden, uh, Ray comes back in with a, with a lot of energy and uh, pizzazz, let's say. And oh, I can't, you know, them. Said, I, see, I don't want to butcher the lines because I know you know them so so well. So what's he come in saying? He says, I've got, uh, I've got five grams of Coke. I've got four, four grams on me and one gram in me. <laughs> My heart's going like the clappers. So if I collapse at any time, you'll know what's wrong. So he gives Brendan Gleeson's character Ken a gram and he goes off to the bathroom while Ray then walks over to Jimmy, who's shifting the prostitute. And starts poking him in the head. And <laughs> he goes, why didn't you wave to me earlier when I waved to you? Yeah. And Jimmy is like, I was on a lot of uh, horse yeah. tranquilizer, ketamine horse tranquilizer earlier. And then Ken's character comes into shot so over Ray's shoulder with like it's just so wide good. eyes. And again, it's, it's like, it's so funny. And it's such a good scene that comes out of nowhere. And yet like it's no words are said or anything like that. But it's just that Ken's coming back from milling a load of coke. And he's like, big wide eyes everything like that why it's also so funny is that it's just like that's the straight edge character that we've kind of seen like you know he just he doesn't like get into the whole shenanigans he doesn't kind of but because obviously he's been told to do something he doesn't want to do he's like right i don't care anymore i'm trying yeah. my health and then but it also it's just kind of funny to see brendan gleason just like act like he's on cocaine i don't know it's just so visually oh, it's, it's, a, so well done. it's a brilliant scene and that's when and they then they go, back, they go back to like jimmy's apartment then and he's on a load of coke and he's talking about a race war between the blacks and the whites yeah oh, that's like you get that's when you have these weird weird ideas brought into it and when ken's leaving he's like monkey hookers and a racist dwarf i think i'm done and leaves the room because like jimmy is talking about how there's going to be a race war and then ray brings it back to what side are the uh what does he say He's like, and what about the what about the Vietnamese? What, oh, what's our Vietnamese? Yeah, he's like, they'll obviously fight with the blacks, and he's like, I'm fighting with the blacks. Then they got the Vietnamese <laughs> and fighting with the blacks. And he's like, like, oh, the black midget's gonna fight all the white midgets. And he's like, obviously, 
And in all of this, Ray is Ray has been discussing with Jimmy how the suicide rate for dwarfs is so high and everything like oh, that. Oh, yeah, that's a weird trend that goes through the whole movie. As yeah, well. it goes through the whole thing, and yeah, he he's obsessed with this this idea of dwarfs, and yeah, it's just it's a, a, another weird one, but it kind of it's at home in that scene because it's such yeah. a weird scene. Uh, and then what? And then uh, yeah, like you say, he he exits on that line, and then uh, Jimmy comes over to attack him, and like, or he comes over, he approaches him. Ray Ray says he's coming with, he's going with Ken, and he goes to he goes to take all the drugs to bring them back with him, like it's coke, it's acid, it's whatever you want. And Jimmy's like, "Where are you going with that?" And Ray grabs it and uh, goes like, "Stay back!" He's like, "You don't know karate." And again, it's the throwback to talking about a fifty-year-old lollipop man who knows karate. So good. <laughs> And he karate chops him on the shoulder and then goes, turns around to him, goes, short arse, and then walks out. And it's another one where it's like so childish again. He's just karate chopped the dwarf. And Jimmy's gone down in a heap. And he calls him short arse and then walks out of the room. But it's 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 so good in that like you kind of because it's all taking place over a couple of days like jimmy can say oh not jimmy say ray can say something in a, at a dinner one night and then later on that night he'll remember it so it's why he keeps mentioning like he mentions the bottle twice and he mentions the vietnamese twice and he mentions yeah. the karate thing like it's so great from that once like it's like just to have those kind of little things carry yeah, on yeah you know it's going to keep happening and like the the stuff about the dwarf suicide that keeps coming up with oh, ray because yeah. he just locks in on that and it's like this is everything i just need to talk to everyone about another example of that and that kind of actually leads us on to our next scene where um ken's been told to, about where to get a gun he has to go to this place a guy called yuri who looks like the creepiest motherfucker in this like robe and just is fe- acts a bit odd but he's like oh yes you could shoot him in uh in alcoves or he, he, the alcoves of the kurikanastic park <laughs> the, no- the nooks and crannies is that how you say it? nooks and crannies and it's just this it's this weird like it's you don't see a lot in movies where you know, sometimes like in those kind of cool, like you know, oh, here's the gun for killing someone. It's all very smooth and slick. Whereas this guy is like, oh, how do you say that? Is it looked at? It's this weird dialogue yeah. of misunderstanding that is kind of so prominent in a lot of Martin McDonough stuff. And I just, it, this is a great example of this kind of like, how do you say that? And this is a- yeah, it's two people that no, don't know each other and trying to make small talk, so it makes the scene a bit more real. Where it's like, this is what would actually happen, where like two people would show up and they're like being handed a gun to go and kill someone, but. There's still that awkward small talk between someone you've never met before, whose like first language is in English as well, and then you're trying to make small talk, and it it just is awkward. Oh, it's so, it's and it's just that it's I don't know it's that Martin McDonough kind of style, and what kind of then leads on to he then goes to try and find um Ray, and he goes to he goes to um to a park, he, he finds Ray, and he's go puts the silencer on the gun. Ray Ray who's sitting on the bench in front of a playground, which again is kind of evokes the idea of he, the, yeah, the whole child motif and everything like that. And he's got, he's walking up behind Ray, as he said, put the silence around the gun. And as he's walking up to Ray to get ready to kill him, he sees Ray put the gun to his own head and getting ready to shoot himself. And he stops Ray from shooting himself. And then Ray turns around to see Ken with the gun with the silencer in his hand as well. And then it's like, you were going to kill yourself. It's like, you were fucking going to kill me. And it's a great little scene where he like puts the gun behind his back. He's like, he's like, yeah. was it? And it's just that, it's such a weird, like it's that awkwardness, like you were saying a bit like earlier with Yuri and that. It's like, that's how that would happen in that situation. Yeah. He's clearly seen the gun. Like the gun yeah. is beside him and he's like, what's that? Looks at the gun and then 
Ken puts it behind his back where it's like, you've seen the gun. We both know or we yeah. both know you've seen the gun, but I'm now going to pretend you haven't seen the gun. And and then this leads us on to probably, in a few steps now, it leads us on to probably one of the greatest monologues. Oh no, maybe just maybe just insults in movie history in that. Oh, oh, this is, yeah, this is my favorite. Ken, we kind of got derailed on the quotes earlier, but this might be the best. I, I'll let you, I'll let you say it, but I'm just going to, I'm going to set it up. So Ken and Ray decide, uh, Ken decides, no, look, we're going to, Ray, I'm not going to kill you. Get in a train. Don't even tell me where you're going. Just get the fuck out of here. Then Ken rings Harry to be like, look, I didn't actually kill him. Uh, he puts the phone to the train. Be like, that's the sound of him fecking off. I don't know where he's going. If you want, if you, if you want to watch call it, kill me, you know where to find me. And then that yeah. leads to um, ha- ha- Harry dealing with the bad news. Harry. Harry. Harry, you don't pronounce the H. Like Harry Kane. But yeah, so Harry loses his mind and smashes up his phone while his wife and kids are like in an adjoining room that can like see him and everything like that. And she turns to him and goes, Harry, it's an inanimate fucking object. And he turns around to her and goes, you're an inanimate fucking object. And again, it's so childish. It's so stupid, but when we were 14 or 15 years old, it was so funny because it's the most, like, it's the comeback you'd have. It's like, you're a fucking idiot. No, you're a fucking idiot. And I don't know, I I honestly don't know, uh, I was going to call you by your first name, but that feels so weird. I was going to call you James. I don't ever call, call you James. Yeah, it's a bit, well, it's a bit like David. No yeah. one calls him David. No. It's almost weird. So tell me, James. That seems weird. Um, I don't know how many times you've referred to people as fucking inanimate fucking object. Go to insult for maybe from what, from third to fourth to maybe even fifth year? Yeah, it was never it was never in a mean way that you do no, it. It was kind of just a funny insult to call someone an inanimate object. And you know what? I honestly think that's a lot of this movie. Because it's Irish humour, we say horrible things to each other, but we don't yeah. actually mean it. And I think... That's where some of this movie maybe is seen as quite, um, you know, crass. But like, some, like we call our, we call each other dickheads and assholes all the time. But it's never said with, um, with hate. And I feel like that's obviously in this scene it's said with hate. But uh, I think there's a few other, like maybe more so in the character of Ray. Like a lot of things he just, um, yeah, he, he just blurts out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Harry then, uh, after screaming at his wife and smashing up the phone, then says, "Right, I'm going over to." handle ken hops on a plane that looked like it only took 20 minutes to get to bruges uh he just was there very quickly apologizes for calling her an inanimate object first as well lovely as well do you know what i mean he calms down and says i'm sorry for calling you an inanimate fucking object (laughs) it's so good um but actually just as i have written down here as as another great quote um which is the when ray is trying to say to Ken that there's that kind of meet deep conversation they're having about yes you know you, you you killed a child by accident but be be there to save the next one and it's this really yeah. nice speech the two of them have between each other and then but just the childishness of Ray to be like what like a doctor you need exams <laughs> it's just, yeah. I'm showing you exams <laughs> yeah. and and then there's that uh, kind of well two things kind of happen so then Harry meets Ken it like Ken sitting there having a couple of pints in the like when Harry met Sally. When Harry met Sally. Ken. Harry McKen, he's having a few pints. He's there ready to, you know, face his judgment, I suppose, to tie into that trend. Uh, but there's a bit of a plot twist because Ray Ray doesn't get very far. No, Ray's on the train and 
the train stopped. The train has left Bruges, but obviously fairly soon after it gets stopped. And a French Belgian police officer comes on and say and asks him, I think ask him if, he, if he's Irish and asks him asks him his name. And he gives a fake name uh, and then goes, You eat the Canadian. And Ray's like, Oh what? He's like, You eat the Canadian. And Ray's like, I eat the Canadian? And then he turn, the police officer turns around and who we thought was an American earlier that Ray was talking about the Vietnamese with. And also after punching him, says, uh, that's for John Lennon, you Yankee oh, cunt. Yes. So again, it's more of Ray just being like, this guy's an American, the Vietnamese, John Lennon, everything like that. And then realizes that he's punched a Canadian in the face and that's bringing him now back to Bruges to be held uh, in the probably not a prison, the jail cell in Bruges, yeah, maybe, yeah. of, of some funny, sort. What's funny is just the child of, t- childishness of Ray, I suppose. It's funny because he, when he finds out it's Canadian, he's like, oh, you know, that's fair. Actually, yeah, yeah. Right. completely fair. Shouldn't you know, have I'm not a hidden American. That's a different story. Hit a Canadian. No, take me back to Bruges. Shouldn't have eaten the Canadian. <laughs> Shouldn't have eaten the Canadian. Um, so that's what, that's what brings him back to Bruges. Yeah. And he uses one phone call with Chloe. Chloe comes and collects him. He apologizes, everything like that. And that's how he then ends up back in Bruges. And he's walking with Chloe as you see Ken and Harry walk past. Oh, yeah. And they don't see each other. And then Ken and Chloe go and sit down. And Harry and Ken go up the go to go up the tower so it's away from people so they don't have a shootout. And again, Harry and Ken both, although hitmen and having killed lots of people, principled in that they don't want innocent people to be caught in the crossfire yeah and one of my favorite bits from this was when uh uh they they try to go up the tower initially and it's like uh, the, the the security guard or whatever says oh no you can't it's been closed off it usually is open till seven it closes at half five and they're like oh why and they goes oh some guy had a heart attack earlier on yeah, and like, american oh, american had a heart attack really yeah it's <laughs> oh. he called he called elephants and told them not to go up the tower and everything like that and this is, yeah, you, you, there are a bunch of fucking elephants came from that where there was three American tourists who were quite large and planning going up the tower and then throw back to, yeah, them having a heart attack. And this is also the security guy who we were introduced to when Ken tries to go up the tower and has €4.90 and change and ask your man if €4.90 is enough. And he's like a really like obnoxious security guy who's taking his job really seriously this guy takes the glass. this guy takes his job far too seriously like even when he's yeah. rejecting harry later on it's just very exactly he taps in the glass and he goes into is five euros and then he says i'm only 10 cents sure surely that's enough he's like entity is five euros so ken then pulls out a, a crisp 50 euro now hands it to him says happy in your line of work and your man's like very and then goes on his way and again the having that 490 in change shows up later in the film but this time harry is like we go back to this scene where uh, harry and ken want to go up the tower and the americans have had their heart attack and your man is basically like you can't go up and pokes harry on the head and is like you can't go up the tower is closed sort of thing and that's obviously a terrible move ken kind of like turns away and we don't see it but we hear harry basically kicking the shit out, yeah. out of the security guy. Like we saw what he did to a phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What can he, what can he do yeah. with the butt of a gun to a, uh, a security guy's head? We don't, we don't see his 
the ultimate fate of the security guard, but can't expect great things. And just actually, I, I meant to mention it earlier, but just speaking very quickly, uh, this I probably should have saved it to later actually, um, but I'll mention it now just speaking about his principle and his kind of beat the shit out of people. Did you know there was a deleted scene, you probably did, in this movie of a younger Harry avenging the death oh so that's another thing i suppose we forgot to mention is oh that, yeah we did forget ken, to mention that ken is um in debt to harry because harry um, was able to find the killer of ken's wife yeah and that's why he kind of owes a debt to harry and that he's like well you know he he kind of balanced things out there so that's why i work for him and there's a deleted scene where they show that where it's young ken holding his um dead wife and harry goes off and kills the person that murdered her. Did I you, didn't know that. You didn't know. Now, this is what I even find more interesting is that I don't know who the actor who plays Ken is, but the actor who plays Harry is quite well known. And it's a young Matt Smith who plays is him. It? it is. So Matt Smith. The is doctor. There. He, yeah, the Doctor Who. He actually does a great, like he does a great voice, the same voice as uh, Ralph Fiennes in this. And wow. Yeah, so we, and we don't we don't see a young we don't see a young Harry other than that, so he's just cut out of the movie. He's just cut out of the movie entirely. So that, like yeah, so he's actually not in the movie. But so this is the only time we see. But what happens in that scene is he goes into the police station because it was a det- dirty detective that killed uh, Ken's wife, and he goes in with a, like a, a machete or something like that. Walks in, says hello to all the policemen, goes in and just decapitates the dirty detective that um, killed Harry's wife and just oh sorry Ken's wife and just walks out. Or just walks away and we don't see what happens. But the reason it was cut was that apparently the CGI was awful and you just the head. Oh, uh, okay. They were just like, ah, oh, just, we'll just scrap it. And the movie works yeah. later, but I just thought that was mad that Matt Smith was in this movie and it was cut out. Yeah, geez, I had no idea that. And that was that was pre Matt Smith being famous yeah, at all as well. This would have been what, 2008. So I don't think he became the doctor till like, ooh, like maybe, I feel like 2011 or something like that. So it would have been a couple Yeah, years. it was certainly, yeah, he certainly wasn't, well, he might have been in some movies, but he wasn't that famous back then. No. Uh, so just speaking of, uh, the brutality of Harry that's what just reminded me of it yeah yeah again yeah he's, he's really principled and everything like that but he's kind of not afraid to get his hands dirty as well I suppose and that's when they go up the tower and Ken again kind of concedes to Harry he kind of accepts that he knows he owes a debt to Harry and everything like that and Harry can kind of do whatever he wants and this kind of annoys Harry because he wants him to fight a bit and have almost a uh, what do you call it a standoff a duel uh, but he kind of shoots him then in the foot just to earn the leg to kind of tell him I'm not going to let you kind of get away with this for, for nothing but he's not going to kill him so then Harry and Ken are kind of he's carrying Ken down the narrow stairs and for lack of a better term the blonde or the not the blonde the bald uh, Puff as Ray described him who tried to rob him earlier has an eye patch on he's blind in one eye and he sees Chloe and Ray. They wave to him and he goes running up the tower, finds Harry and tells him that Ray is down there. Yeah, so, so, so we, we forgot to mention it, but uh, Harry got the, got his gun because he obviously has those connections with Yuri. Went to get a gun from Yuri and he's like, give sorry, me a proper yeah. gun. And he goes, do you want the bullets to blow people's heads off? And he's like, yeah, give me those. Like he's out to, he's out to like really, you know, serve some judgment and for some i don't really understand why the the, the um the, the skinhead lad is is there in that meeting. yeah it's very well, awkward but it, it yeah, serves it make too much sense. yeah to that he spots uh harry uh, sorry geez the names i'm the word colin yeah. farrell and the girl from harry potter he spots them he runs up gets harry and then there's that confrontation between harry and ken he's like ken's like no i can't let you do it and now that ken is 
you know, very in the moment trying to stop Harry from killing Ray. He's like, I can't, I can't risk this and risk this and shoots um, Ken in the neck. But it's only like a kind of a yeah. There's a, there's there's kind of a struggle yeah. between the two of them where he know he's he, he's trying to Ken is trying to shoot Harry to stop him from getting down to Ray, and in the struggle basically the gun ends up kind of pointing at uh, Ken. But yeah, kind of hit him in the neck, plenty of blood coming out and everything like that. But at this stage. Ken knows he's fairly dust and can yeah. only survive so long. And then Harry goes running down the stairs, and that's when oh the tune just one of my favorite kind of music tying into the scene unbelievably well because there's not that much there's no real music in no. in Bruges in terms of actual songs, but there is there's kind of a score uh, a score to the movie that suits or kind of goes along very well with the movie it's what you'd like if you were to imagine a, an old medieval european city yeah the music goes very well with that but it's the only kind of song in it and it's raglan road and it's harry running down the stairs as fast as he can as ken climbs up the stairs and it's between it goes between that shot of ken climbing up the stairs harry running down the stairs and ray and chloe at the table together and ken gets to this top of the stairs climbs up to the edge of the top of the bell tower and we again kind of throw back he's got the four euro 19 change in his pocket and load of people down below again he, he doesn't want to hurt anyone else so he uses the coins he drops them off the top so that everyone will kind of clear out no one will be there when he basically jumps off because he knows the only way he can w- warn ray that harry's coming is by jumping off the bell tower, killing himself and being able to warn him that Harry's coming. This is what he does, jumps off. Ray sees this. It kind of doesn't really understand what's going on. Then you can see kind of half recognizes Ken, goes over to him and Ken with his kind of like last dying breath tells him that Harry is coming. One too many Harry- breaths in my opinion. That man fell many many meters and like onto yes. the chest and he managed How, to get a couple of lines out and i'm like no yeah way. the only it, it works for the movie but works the movie. doesn't really make a huge amount of sense no probably like, be dead I, on the impact like it would have made more sense if he jumped from a maybe a lower down window but i think the top one was a cinematic it's, it was yeah. beautiful but yeah uh, it was the, because he earlier on in the movie he talks about how it's like one of the most beautiful views and that's probably one of the last views he sees and it's quite nice but i'm just like no that man he just yeah burst so but he, also he the puts, he puts a gun as well in his um he, yeah the gun was in his in his pocket yeah he, in his front pocket like he would get the gun down to to ray and but the gun is smashed it's broken and then ray remembers that he had a gun but ken had t- taken it off and he goes where is it and he, then he realizes it's back in the it's back in the ho- hotel they're staying at so it's kind of a foot chase then between harry trying to catch up with ray and shoot him and from, and then ray to try and get back to the hotel to get the gun running yeah running through bruges he, ray gets back to the hotel gets the gun harry gets there as well and again marie the co-owner who harry thought was a receptionist earlier who's great yeah great character and she's like you guys are fucking crazy because she's just a normal person living her normal life and seeing kind of all this play out that she would like she shouldn't be there for anything like that and again both ray and harry are saying that this is like they don't want her to be caught in the crossfire and everything like that. And actually, we men- we, we forgot to mention, because it'll come uh, pretty soon after this, when Ray is- when Harry's talking to Ken, before they go up the bell tower, Harry says to Ken how if he shot a kid, 
whether on purpose or by accident, he wouldn't think twice about it. He'd turn the gun on himself and shoot himself. Yeah. So obviously he, he sees like children as being completely out of bounds, everything like that, despite their job of being hitmen. And Ray and Harry are then there with Marie and they're basically like, we're not going to have a shootout in here with a pregnant woman. Didn't mention that either, but Marie's pregnant. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then... We, so, mentioned, yeah, we, we, we mentioned the place, it all takes place in Bruges. We covered that. Yeah, we did mention Bruges. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we, we, mentioned Bruges. we didn't mention that. Yeah. We got Ray, Ken and Harry and Bruges and that's about it. And that Tottenham are <laughs> exceedingly average. Not, not too good, not too bad. Yeah. Yeah, so they decide the only way they're going to be able to do it is Ray says he can jump out the window of the room, run back up and onto the canal. And if he gets away, he gets away. And Harry can run outside the front, go to the right and try and shoot him from there. He does this. One, two, three, go. He runs out the window, jumps on a barge that is conveniently going by at the time. Harry runs out the front. And for some reason, Ray decides to like, sit up on his knees on this barge rather than getting like as low oh, as possible yeah, and giving a small target as possible and Harry comes around with the gun aims at him Harry, uh, Ray is like oh, it's too far away there's no way you can shoot me from there and obviously Harry shoots him Ray goes Ray kind of goes down in a heap and gets off the barge Harry chases after him and they then go running again through Bruges I suppose at this stage, raising so much running is stumbling with a gunshot wound and back onto the set of the movie that we saw earlier where they were filming midgets. And it's kind of a, a dream sequence that's going on and having been shot, it's almost like he's in a dream. And as I mentioned earlier about Bruges almost being like a dream. Uh, I feel like I'm like I'm in a dream, but I'm awake sort of thing. The yeah. quote that uh, Ken made up for Ray. And... This is when Harry comes up behind him and shoots him four or five times in the back. And Ray, obviously looking ahead, being shot in the back in a similar way to how the priest was shot earlier that we see earlier in the movie, that Ray shot this time, Harry shooting Ray in the back. And we don't see it until Ray drops down, but the dwarf is in front of Ray and he just shot the dwarf in the head. The dwarf is dressed in a school children's outfit, schoolboy's outfit. But the dum-dums have been used the ones that, that explode to your blow head. your head off. Yeah. So the bullet has gone through Ray into the head of the dwarf, blown his head to pieces, and now all you see is a small body on the floor with a, un- a child's uniform on it. And this Harry, ultimate principles, immediately, as he said earlier in the uh, film when he was talking to Ken, just turns the gun on himself and Ray again tries to stop him but he's been shot four times so understandably maybe he can't articulate this as well tries to stop him from shooting himself but Harry turns the gun on himself and just shoots himself immediately and kills himself and the movie ends with Ray being uh, attended to and put on a uh, a stretcher and put into an ambulance and he says at that time even though he kind of hated it at the, the, he wanted to kill himself and now he said if he survived what he'd do is go to that house of the kid in London or whatever find the mother admit what he'd done and whatever she saw as fit punishment he'd accept 
and he just really didn't want to die at that time. Yeah. And then the movie ends with the quote, um, oh, I've got to find it now because it's a brilliant, brilliant quote. And it kind of brings back the whole thing of whether it's heaven, hell, purgatory, brute being purgatory. And he's putting the stretcher put into the, you get like a first person view from Ray as he's looking up at the bright lights, which is kind of evocative of heaven, maybe. And he says, at least in heaven and at least in death, I wouldn't be in fucking Bruges. <laughs> and it's a great way oh, to end it. Again, really like a great quote to end the movie on and kind of brings a full circle. But as I said, like not having a sequel or not knowing what's happening, that's how the movie ends. And we don't know what happens after that. I think it's a brilliant way to, to end it where everything is kind of left hanging in the balance. Honestly, it's such a, it's 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 a rare movie in that it wraps everything up so nicely as well, and but yet can still be open ended, and you're okay with like you're so okay with it. You don't yeah. really want to know. You, you, yeah, like, you I don't like, have to know the ending. Yeah, it's a because, bit of a a bit of like the original Italian Job, about it, where at the end of the original Italian Job, they basically complete the job, and they're on this big bus filled with all the gold that they've stolen, and they're going through the hills of. Uh, like Italy or something like that and the bus kind of skids and half the bus is now hanging off the side of the mountain half is hanging on and Michael Caine car- Michael Caine's character all the gold is down one end and all the people are down the other end trying to keep the bus up and he just turns around and goes hang on I've got an idea and that's where the movie just cuts and ends Yeah, and it's a great movie where it's like you're like oh how can they end this without telling us how it's ended but yeah. it's almost better leaving it to your imagination like do they get out and figure it out and get out with the gold or do they not? And again, does Ray survive or does he not? But at that stage, it doesn't really matter if Ray survives or not, I suppose. Yeah, it's a bit like Inception. You don't care. You don't care if it's yeah. or not. You know he's happy. And you know that... Yeah. And it's more that you know Ray has completed the journey that he needed to... That Bruges, I suppose, needed for him to complete to get to the point. So whether he dies or lives, he's at the point he needed to get he needed to get to. Yeah, he's he kind of found peace with himself. Whereas he yeah. that's what he was struggling with the whole time while he was in Bruges. Like he considered he nearly killed himself. He yeah. then thought he had something to live for and with in all of this, he decided that ultimately he'd kind of leave himself to the mercy of the mother of the child he'd killed. Yeah. And these but, small, small things like where he doesn't even change his outfit. He has the same outfit on every day and Ken will still yeah, that, but like he just doesn't care. He's just like, oh like I hate this place. I hate myself. I'm not why would I bother change my clothes? Why would I bother wear anything bright? It's all gonna be dark clothes. Like Yeah, exactly. And may, a certain amount of that might have been he didn't think he's gonna be in Bruges for all that long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would be so like Ray to be like, nah, there's no way we're staying in Bruges for ages. Like yeah. whereas Ken would be like, Yeah, I'll pack a whole bag. Yeah, I can't wait. And again, he's a child, so he just like he he, he just wears what he wears and he's yeah. more than happy to wear the same thing over and over again yeah okay uh i have i have one i have a question for you uh i, I was saving it till the end uh just for the movie i know you know you might have more to say but i just wanted to ask you like you mentioned you you deal a lot with numbers pender and i'm gonna ask you a question how many times is the word fuck and its derivatives said in this 107 minute movie i feel like i've heard this before 107 minutes I, oh, I feel like maybe 350. Ooh, no highballed it. It's only actually 126 times. Is it? God. Yeah, which is an average of 1.18 fucks per minute. 
Not as high as I expected. No, not. I think there's enough other swears in it, but I just I thought yeah, maybe maybe total swears. I might be getting closer to like three hundred and fifty. Those are statistics and data I do not have uh, access to at this time currently, as the IMDb trivia uh, page only has fuck. Yeah, I, to be honest, like you, you say I'm dealing with numbers and everything like that, but I think at your heart you're more of a, uh, a statistics and data guy than I would be. That's fair. That is true. Um. Right. Well, you 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 be you mentioned earlier that no one calls David um David. Everyone calls him uh, scans or scanners back in the day. And and I, I use his surname in the uh, unit of measurement we use for or the review system for for movies on this podcast. So it's called the Scanlon scale until I can think of something snazzier. But it's basically should you watch this movie? Should you not watch this movie? So what would be your rate? I the answer is obvious, but what what would be your answer? Oh, you should absolutely watch this movie, and if you can over whatever period of time watch it multiple times yeah because there's just constantly things that you see I, it probably sounds cliched but you may, there's so much that you do miss you, I know you mentioned it on the prestige episode with David David that it's um, weird to say I don't like it at all <laughs> no that's for his parents to go and no one else uh, <laughs> but yeah with it, with rewatching it there are things you notice and as I said earlier didn't notice a lot of these things probably the first few times watching it because the first few times you're watching it, it's just a oh this is a funny movie and you watch that again yeah. and then you start to see the parallels that happen throughout the movie and everything like that so yeah i'd say absolutely watch it and watch it multiple times i think it gets better with every watch i i agree well well uh james jimothy pender all the names i know you by thank you very much for coming on it's it's been a it's been a pleasure having you on i'm glad you i'm glad we finally got you a an outlet for your for your Bruges thoughts and and everything that you had in it uh and, and i'll throw it over to you one last time any any final words uh final words gary checks Bruges Bruges is a shithole Bruges is a shithole although i say that and i'll uh, i'll have to visit there i can't not visit there i day. think we organize a trip i think what we should do is we should do a sequel to this podcast in Bruges we will be it's we'll call it the in Bruges in Bruges podcast yeah i like that i like the idea of that yeah i think it sounds right. a fantastic idea I'm, I'm all okay. As soon as we're allowed to travel. As soon as we're allowed to travel. Yeah, obviously we say all this under whatever the uh, whatever the health guidelines yeah. brought in are at the times and everything like that. So exactly. uh, we're very much a podcast who's committed to stopping the spread of coronavirus. Exactly. Absolutely. It's like the number two on our principle. One, make jokes. Two, coronavirus awareness. Three, talk about movies. Number four, maybe the Bruges is, you know. Bruges, you know, number four. That's canon. And the was the fourth. Yeah, the fourth canon. Literally canon. <laughs> right. Okay, James, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much to our listeners who've listened uh, to this and to any of our other ones. If you want to listen to more, they're on Spotify. They're on Apple, where you can follow, subscribe. I don't really know what you do there. But you can also follow us on Instagram at, at Reading in the Peers, and I throw up things to let you know when the new ones are coming out. Thank you very much again. We hope you enjoyed. Goodbye.